The following message is entitled, True Teachers, Confronting Quitting, Confronting Error, Part 4. This message was given during the morning service on February 12, 2023, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Sermon title for today in your note sheet is True Teachers, Confronting Quitting, Confronting Error. There are many times pastors just teach topically, like I'm doing right now in Sunday school for Randy's class while he's recovering this month. It's a topical series. And a lot of times when topical series are taught, we we can miss topics that can only manifest themselves if you go verse by verse. And going verse by verse through 1 Timothy brings us to verse 3. And the first topic in verse 3 of 1 Timothy 1 is... Paul confronting Timothy not to quit the pastorate. I don't think anybody would choose that as a topical series. It confronts us because of the text following it. Uh, This is a series on 1 Timothy. As the top of your note sheet says, the overall title I've given to this epistle is the kind of church God wants. I could say that of 2 Timothy. It would be the kind of church God wants, part 2. I could say that of Titus, the type of church or the kind of church God wants, part 3. But we're just in 1 Timothy chapter 1. In your note sheet, you can see that we're looking at priority number one, God wants true teachers and pure doctrines in our church, verses 1 to 20. And we already finished the first aspect of this first 20 verses, which is the whole chapter. In your note sheet, the church was founded by Christ and the apostles. And then in verse 2, we did an extensive focus on the power behind Christians in the local church, grace, mercy, and peace. Now we come to this issue of Quitting, confronting, quitting, confronting error, as the sermon title says, which pops up in verse 3. Quitting is all around us. I mean, we see it at more and more employees, employers, they just quit. Uh, Sue and Rebecca have told us, and Sue especially, how many people quit at your office. You know, just boom, they're gone. And uh, we find that in churches. People quit. We find that in families. People quit on families. Um, Another terrible argument was occurring on Avenue F uh, Friday night from 1230 to 130, it was, they were obviously this couple from across the street, Murda and Angel. No, just kidding. It wasn't them. <laughs> where, I couldn't resist that one. I was hoping she'd be here. But uh, the couple across from the street uh, to the right of the Diaz's um, was astounding. First I hear horn honk, and then I hear blood curling screaming, and it was really scary. It was a woman who had a male voice, and she was screaming, it sounded demonic. Uh, to make a long story short, I actually stood there. I wanted to pull up a lawn chair to watch, but I stood there looking through my window with all the lights off for one solid hour. Um, the, the door was open to the SUV, and then the guy comes in. I see arms flailing, and they are so screaming so loud with their doors closed and the vehicle running that with my two doors closed, I could hear everything they're saying. I really had my phone ready to wait for the white flash. That's how violent it was. Relationships are quit on. Everybody's a quitter these days, it would seem. We understand that. Paganism. Evil. But that's not the topic of verse 3. Astoundingly, in what we would say technically is counterintuitive, against common sense, is that what Paul's confronting on quitting is among godly leaders and Christians. 
That's a topic we've never heard of before. We would assume, oh, they're all pagans at work. They quit at the drop of a hat. I have a hangnail quitting my job. Fighting out in front, quitting a relationship, whatever they did. I don't know what it was, but it was bad. We can understand that among the evil. That's not our topic. This is a head scratcher. Paul has to beg Timothy not to quit? What's going on here? What's the problem? Well, look at verse 3. As I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. That is, don't quit, in case you missed it. So that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Verse 5, 1 Timothy 1.5, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, turned aside to fruitless discussion. Notice their teaching is fruitless. Wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. The sermon title is for a reason. Confronting quitting, verse 3, first half. Confronting error, second half of verse 3 all the way to verse 7. Instructing, confronting. And of course, as we'll see later on and in other passages when we get to verses 4 to 7, seeking to separate from such individuals. Paul has to confront Timothy to not quit? What's the deal with that? We would assume that somebody who wants to quit in a church is carnal. Well, Timothy had his struggles. We looked at the nine major sins that Timothy is struggling with. But Paul, if Paul thought Timothy was carnal or disqualified, he would have removed him from being the pastor of the Ephesian church. He had horrible battles with sin, but he still was there and Paul was still trying to help him. So what's the deal here? What's this about quitting? I would put to you, if you're walking with the Lord and you are walking in fruit of the Spirit, serving with your gifts, wanting God's will, I will say with absolute confidence and assurance based on the Word of God and my own experience, you've been tempted many times to quit. Quit what? Quit service. Quit this church. So what gives? Why is this going on? What's the problem? Let's start in your note sheet then and do some review from a month ago because I love a good review. So review from 122.23. Three introductory statements frame our study of these first five verses. Let's review them from last time. Then in the text we start today to expand on all three statements. These are the outlines Points. These introductory statements would be our outline of down below under Roman numeral 2. We'll expand these three introductory statements. I spent extensive time on them last month. I'm going to just repeat them with some additional comments that I did not make last month. Introductory statement number one. Before false teaching can be defeated and truth promoted, quitting must be confronted among true teachers and Christians. Now let me ask you a question. Where's that in verse 3? Well, look at verse 3. If he doesn't remain, how does he stop the false teachers? He can't. You see that in verse 3? I need you to remain to stop these people from teaching. You can see the problem here. 
If good teachers quit, false teaching proliferates. That's what you have going on in the church today, especially in the last days. So what Paul is requiring, and you can write it on one of the two blank lines under introductory statement number one, he's begging true teachers to persevere. Church can't remain holy and true to God's word if we don't persevere. Somebody's got to get the rats out of the house. Heretics don't kick out heretics. If we don't stand our ground, who's going to do it? This is why this is first off in this epistle. The kind of church God wants is pure doctrine. How can you have pure doctrine if all the teachers run when the bad guy rides into the western town? Anybody ever watch High Noon, the classic western from the 1940s? Where the one man's willing to stand and the rest of the town wouldn't support him. He stood his ground against the bad guys coming into town. This is high noon in the church today, but it was even back then. It's always during the church age. The good die young. The good quit, so to speak. They die on the vine. Especially teaching leaders, elders, pastors, they're tempted to quit. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. This is something that Paul knows by experience. 2 Corinthians 4, introductory statement number 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, 2 Corinthians 4.1, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. To be untied from the pier, to float away, to be loosened, lose heart, to be loosened away from obligations, to drift away. This is the fantasy of any godly Christian who's warring in any church and standing for truth in any church or ministry is the temptation to not to lose heart, and he's saying we do not. So he's okay, he's not struggling. Not true. He is struggling, because go to chapter 4, verse 8. We see that he has been in trouble himself, including himself. We are afflicted. The idea here is a narrowing. We're under great pressure. We feel confined. Second Corinthians 4, 8. We're afflicted. This is the word for thlebo, for thlebometer. This is a a blood pressure cuff. The old name for a blood pressure cuff is a phlebometer. Phlebo is affliction, pressure. He's under great, confining, trapping pressure. When you feel trapped, you want to get out. In every way of ministry, verse 8. Not crushed. Stenachoreo means to not actually be cornered. He just feels cornered. He's, not, he's, he's confined, panicky, because of ministry attacks, but not... Truly cornered. Not actually. He goes on, we're perplexed. Apareo, totally confused. You say Paul is confused? Yes, there is nothing that creates confusion more than massive ministry trials. I can speak from practical experience on that one. What is going on? Why is this happening? I don't understand. That's the word, that's the word perplexed right there. He's perplexed. He doesn't have a corner on wisdom. Paul was a human being, a man, but not despairing. Perplexed means to be confused, not despairing. Ex apareo means totally, hopelessly, permanently confused. Perplexed is apareo, not despairing, 
is ex apareo, to actually be out of any hope at a permanent total loss. But hey, the interplay of these terms in verse 8 shows that he's at the end of his rope because of persecution, but not forsaken, verse 9. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is all because of what's going on in the Corinthian church predominantly. His biggest enemy that Paul faced were among those that were in the church. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul perplexingly found that his greatest enemies many times were in the church. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. He's once again alluding to the fact that Timothy needs to not quit in verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. To guard means stand your post. Um, it's a military guard. You protect and stand firm. You don't leave. A guard does not quit. That's kind of a more subtle illusion rather than remain on in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 14, it's guard. He also ordered him in verse 13 to retain, hold on to the standard of sound words. So again, Timothy's still messed up. He wants to quit teaching, verse 13. He wants to run, verse 14. So Paul says in verse 13, retain the standard of sound words. Don't stop teaching the word. Why would we be tempted to quit on that? We'll get to that in a moment. And then verse 14, guard, stand your ground. The treasure is the word of God that's been entrusted to you. And look what happened to Paul in verse 15. You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenes. All the Asian leaders, his disciples, fellow Christians, especially these two. And he says, you're aware of the fact. You know what happens when three people run out of a building, the others want to run too. So what Paul is saying is, I understand that you know there's a run away from me, Timothy. You're aware of this, that people are deserting me, deserting support of me, including these two that I mentioned by name. So this is the idea that we find in John 6 where all the disciples of Christ, remember that story? They all abandoned and so Peter was standing there. So Christ turned to Peter and says, you do not want to leave me also. He must have seen the look of the fire in the house look to panic to run. In the church, this is, a, this is an axiomatic principle. Small churches get smaller. Big churches get, big church, get bigger. It's axiomatic. Everyone wants a winner, right? So the place is busting down with numbers. I've had more than a few people that have walked in and visited and said, oh, that's small. Small is loser. Bigger is better. Quitting creates quitting. Growth creates growth. This is endemic to the human character, saved or unsaved. We want to hang around places where it's going well. Timothy is aware that people are deserting Paul. Paul's a loser. Don't attach yourself to him. He's in jail. So he tells him to retain and guard. What drives this quitting? Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 12. Turn over there. Hebrews 12. It goes back to what Paul just said in 2, Timothy 4, 2 Corinthians 4.1. But in Hebrews 12... He tells believers we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us in verse 1. Running with endurance means you don't quit. 
Endurance means when you feel like quitting, you don't do it. There's no such thing as endurance unless we feel like quitting. The race is not about your job. It's not about quitting on the car you're driving. It's not about quitting on friends. This is the race that is set before us as a Christian life. Even godly Christians can feel quit, like quitting on the Christian life. I know, because I've had it. I'm sure you have as well. Times you can't be bothered to pray personally in your life. And prayer is extremely difficult to endure. We can see that obviously by the few in our prayer meeting as well. Enduring in prayer is a very difficult thing. But the entire Christian race, witnessing, bearing fruit, praying, reading and studying the word, serving with our gifts, fellowshipping a church, we have to endure. The word implies, obviously, as I've just said, the concept of giving up. Don't give up. Look at verse 3. For consider him who has endured. So there it is. Endurance is in every verse here. Endurance is the topic of verses 1 to 3. Endurance in verse 1. Endurance in verse 2. Endurance in verse 3. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, Christ, so that you will not grow weary. And here it is. Again, lose heart. These words are contrasting. They are antonyms in verse 3. Endurance Losing heart. Again, lose, to lose heart, to lose in your mind. What does it mean to lose mind? It is to untie your mind. As I mentioned in 2 Corinthians 4.1, to spill over, to dissolve. Contents to disappear. It is spiritually growing weary. Uh, many times we can say, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of serving. I'm tired of ministry, not growing weary. When you grow weary and you lose heart, you can't endure. We quit. This is a great, great temptation. So going back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, none of these passages is referring to godless individuals. And we can see the context, as I've just mentioned, the reason why Timothy needs to not quit is so that false teaching can be confronted. This is the first issue of what a kind of church God wants. When good men run, wicked false teachers proliferate. And the problem is going to be even greater in the last days, as I've read to you many times. We won't go there. 2 Timothy 4, where Paul warned Timothy as well, in the last days, the church will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Accumulate to pile up. And the reason the false teachers pile up is because the good teachers have left. The false teachers come in and fill the void. So there's going to be this overwhelming, even more so in the last days of the church, godly believers who want to quit and get kicked out. Overwhelming discouragement. Overwhelming discouragement. What's the problem? What is it that godly Christians want to quit over? It's very simple. The condition of the last day's church. Churches, ministries, schools filled with apostasy and heresy. Massive discouragement. People not listening to the word of God. Not being transformed. Countless professions of faith that end up shown to be false. Now someone could say, but pastor, isn't it apostates who do the quitting? No, that's actually not the case. We would assume that the apostates are the ones that quit. No, Satan sends apostates into the church to destroy churches. They don't quit. 
Some get found out. We've had some apostates that have been found out or outed in our church. Um, they've left just to go to other churches to wreak havoc. But Matthew 13 tells us that apostates, the wheat and the tares is a story of the church, and the wheat is true believers, and the tares are the apostates, as that parable is interpreted by Christ in that parable. So we understand this. Apostates are fake believers, the ones who claim to be saved. Sing the hymns, come to church, serve. You're not truly saved. They don't quit. They stay in. They are sent by Satan to stay in. In their hearts, they have renounced the truth. But as Jude tells us, they creep in unnoticed. It doesn't say they leave. They're always creeping in. The direction of apostasies into the church sent by Satan, the direction of godly quitting is to leave the church. That is a double blow to the safety and welfare of the body of Christ. You put those two together, it's over. Creeping in apostates, exiting true teachers. That is a complete turnover of the professed body of Christ into the camp of Satan. He takes over everything. So what happens is 1 Timothy 4, turn there. Then in the last days, this is what will happen. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, a plurality will fall away from the faith. That's apostasy. They don't quit the church. They bring into the church with them, they hijack churches and ministries and bring into them deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. If they fell away from the faith and quit the church, there wouldn't be any doctrines of demons. Doctrine is replaced. The Holy Spirit is replaced with deceitful spirits. The Bible is replaced with doctrines of demons. The falling away from the faith is not losing salvation. It is the manifestation of false belief by the content of what's making up the church. Lying spirits and false doctrines. The character shows forth. Hypocrites, liars, dead consciences in verse 3 and verse 2. And as we've seen many times, they alter the rules for marriage. Divorce or remarriage, different rules for men and women, homosexuality, the whole nine yards. And also then piggyback into the church, besides a liberalization of marriage laws in the Bible, they bring into the church in verse 3, food law legalism. That's demonic, both of those. The forbidding or, the forbidding or abrogation of true laws for marriage and the abstaining from foods because that's holy to abstain from certain foods. This is the destruction of the church. So now we, I think we can understand why in 1 Timothy chapter 1, you can't have the church God wants as you go back there until we get the godly remnant to stay put. That's obviously the key, right? There you are, Murda. Have you been there all the time? So I looked right over you. When I was joking about you, I was looking right over you, right? Did you hear me joke about you? She was right there. So many people here. How am I supposed to see her? How come you, you tricked me? How come you're not in your back seat back there? Wow. She's willing to, to take uh, pain in the body. Well, so people are thinking, boy, how could he miss her like that when he was talking about her? I'm sorry. Just right over the top. Right over the top. All right, so now I think you can see why this is so urgent. I urge you, verse 3, 1 Timothy 1, 3. Upon my departure from Macedonia, remain. Don't quit. Remain. Don't quit. This is a problem. You can't confront error if the good die young on ministry and quit. Introductory statement number two. For truth to prevail, false teaching must be exposed. This is a domino effect. 
You drop the good teachers, get them out, they quit, then you can't be the exposure of error. For truth to prevail, false teaching has to be exposed and removed from every single Bible-believing church, mission, Bible school, and media organization. This is not happening today because there is not a conglomeration of growing godly leaders that are willing to stand firm and confront. So they quit or they remain silent, statement number one. And then false teaching can't be confronted, statement number two. This is so difficult to do unless we have godly leaders that are willing to do what is necessary rather than look to their own career. Very few pastors I know want to do this. They'd rather just ignore false teaching. I know an IFCA church where the pastor I confronted, I said, you know this person in your church who's claiming to be a Christian is a homosexual. And I said, you need to be warned so what did he do? He put him in the membership and stuck him in the choir. Very few want to do this. After all, it's a new person attending. And that's what we're after, right? Got to get new people. False teaching is ignored. Immoral behavior is ignored. Even though the Bible commands, instruct these men to stop it in verse 3. Why not kick them out right in verse 3? You don't do that first. Whenever you get false teaching in a ministry of church, you confront the person and tell them to stop it. First thing you do. If we had somebody in Sunday school, picked on Murdoch, pick on Ryan. Let's say he's down in a Sunday school class teaching. And he teaches, there is no trinity. So it filters up to us eventually. Go down and talk to Ryan. Did you teach that? What's going on? Do you really believe there's no trinity? Oh, no, I made a mistake. I, I didn't say it right. Okay. But what if we just said, oh, what? Ryan was teaching his alternative. I go downstairs with the other elders. Out you go! Separation. No, you confront first, right? Because a real heretic won't be able to stop teaching. We've had this in the past. Teachers in Sunday school especially, one I can remember, we confronted the individual, you need to stop what you're teaching, that's not right. You need to stick to what we tell you in the curriculum that you're supposed to teach. Second warning, refuse to stop. Third warning, you have to remove. So obviously the process is progressive here. But he's not even willing to do that because it seems from verse 3 that he just wants to get out of there and not even deal with it. We don't know who the apostates and heretics are until they reveal themselves through their false teaching. So when somebody teaches something falsely, it could be a true believer that's not a heretic but just ignorant, and then we confront and correct, or we find out over time this person is a hardened heretic that needs to go. Who's going to do that if the godly, the good die young, on ministry and quit? It's not just pastors we're talking about here. We're talking about Christians. You need to stay put if you're godly. Do you have the courage to do that? Do you have the spiritual fortitude to say no matter what problems pop up in any church or ministry, if it is a Bible-believing and not a heretical ministry, do I have the courage to stay and not quit? Temptation is great, isn't it? Yes, it is. Statement number three. Once leaders commit to enduring suffering for truth and proactively attack false teaching in their ministry contexts, then and only then can biblically accurate teaching be promoted. And in the church, in the day and age of the church today, the price paid to do this is great. 
loss of jobs, loss of reputation, ministries, slander. As I said in Sunday school, my life of ministry has been one of, even outside this church, I've been attacked by both liberal evangelicals as being a radicalized, legalistic fundamentalist and been attacked by fundamentalists as being a liberal, heretical fundamentalist. So the fundamentalists have attacked me as being liberal and the evangelicals have attacked me as being a legalistic, too conservative type of guy. You're going to suffer greatly. If the goal is career track, if the goal is to maintain income and reputation, then we'll never remain. And we will always be attacked. So in your note sheet, these are the three steps of our text then. Paul first confronts quitting, then secondly admonishes Timothy to get rid of false teaching, then thirdly Paul demands Timothy to promote apostolic teaching. Any one of those three dominoes, if you pull them out, the cards of the church collapse. If a person remains and doesn't quit, but then doesn't confront false teaching, the church collapses. If the person quits, the church collapses. If the person confronts and admonishes false teaching, but thirdly doesn't promote true teaching, the church collapses. These are integrated. They are parts of the machinery of the church God wants that have to operate together. This is virtually impossible to see today in our churches. No wonder they're scattered everywhere. And no wonder there's such confusion. And as per the topic that I've returned to while I'm teaching for Randy right now for these three Sundays, that's why so many believers think you can make the Bible mean anything you want. What John's doing up there is just his opinion. I have a different opinion. It doesn't matter what we say, what we teach. It's all the same. Anyone can believe whatever they want. It's because of the preponderance of heresy that is inroaded into our churches and ministries and destroying sound doctrine. When Paul tells us to maintain sound doctrine, that means it is possible. If in verse 5 he says, Our instruction produces purity, good conscience, and sincere faith, and it is possible. There is such a thing as sound doctrine. There is such a thing as pure doctrine. It takes hard work. It takes submission to the word of God. But God's word is true. As I said in Sunday school, one meaning for every verse. One meaning and truth for every doctrine. Many applications. Let's start then with the quitting issue then. In your note sheet at the bottom, true teaching confronts false doctrine in the church and promotes true doctrine. Let's start there. Three vital keys to not quitting the promotion of doctrine. You want to stop quitting temptations in your own life? We follow what Paul tells Timothy. If you struggle with wanting to quit because of persecution within the church, we're not talking in society now. We're not talking at all about I've got a bad boss, neighbor, family member. This is all in the context of the Ephesian church. Because of the trouble in the church, Timothy wants to quit. If you struggle at all with that, and I do, here at Eastside Bible Church, it's hardly not a week that's gone by in 36 years where I haven't at some point put my feet up and said, in my mind, the fantasy of I'm quitting. But here I am. Not by my doing, I'll tell you that. Three vital keys to not quitting. Key number one, the word urge. It's right in your note sheet. Key number one, urge. Paul is exhorting Timothy to stay. 
Parakaleo, write it down. You and I are commanded to stay. Paul's begging him. Do you think he's not begging us? He's begging you and I as well. We're commanded to stay. I don't want to stay. So? So you don't want to stay. Aristactive indicative. I urge you once and for all to remain. It's an aorist tense indicative mode that operates as a command. I have done this to you. I have once and for all said this to you. He's been, the fact that it's aristactive indicative tells me I've urged, I've been doing this continuously with you, Timothy, because you keep wanting to quit. He's begging him. Begging him to not quit. That's how bad this is. Backside. Parakaleo comes from para, from close behind, and Kaleo, he's getting right up in his face, calling right up to him. He's making a call, close up, personal confrontation. The idea of parakaleo means to offer up evidence that stands in God's court. Paul's making a defensive lawyer case to Timothy to not quit. In his face, don't do it. That is a command to every godly believer who faces suffering in a church. You saying, John, I'm never to quit Eastside Bible Church? That is exactly right. You're never to quit it. Whoa, that sounds like a cult. Unless one of the five New Testament reasons for leaving a church takes place at Eastside Bible Church. If any one of those five things takes place at Eastside Bible Church, then we quit. Are any of those five things taking place at Eastside Bible Church? Am I still here? <laughs> <laughs> yes or no? Okay, just make sure you're awake. <laughs> I was tempted at this point in the sermon to duck down. Oh, you got raptured. You got raptured. I got left behind. As we saw in Sunday school, not if you're reformed. So obviously, none of these five things have taken place. What are the five things? I'll tell you in 10 years. No, we'll get to those. Five reasons to leave a church. Five reasons. Oh, this is, this is crazy. This sounds like a cult. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It's telling him to remain. Yeah, but there's problems at our church. You think we've got problems? Timothy faced trashed situation in verses 3 to 7. We don't have this. It's not this, this bad in our church. What he's facing in the Ephesian church is so bad, the church ceased to exist after the apostles. They never got their act together. In fact, this church, Ephesian church, got so bad that in Revelation, the Apostle John had to step in and say, you guys had better fix what you're doing at that church or Jesus is going to come and completely remove your lampstand. Did they fix it? No, they did not. Gone. That church lasted less than our church has lasted. Maybe 80 years the Ephesian church lasted. How long have we been here? 123 years? Wow. One twentieth of the entire history of Christianity, this church has stood its ground. 123 years. Yeah, well, we've got problems. Yeah, we do. Because we're sinners. But those five things aren't taking place or I'm out of here. Fast as I can shake a stick. Reservation. Out of this church. Letter of quitting to the elders and inviting them to exit premises with me. We got trouble. 
we've outlasted the Ephesian church by 50 years. How do you like them apples? Still think you should quit? Where are you going to go in a 10-mile radius around this church and find anything close to the doctrinal integrity of this church? Where are you going to go in another 30 to 40 miles around it? I've looked. Yet we're tempted to leave. We don't like how people are. Well, join the club. When the apostle commands Timothy to not quit, does that not apply to us as well? The butts come screaming in silence, but you don't know. Oh, I know a lot. I found over the years, Christians at our beloved Eastside Bible Church to think that I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I got news for you. I know a lot more than you think I do of what's going on in our church. A lot more. Well, why aren't you doing something about it, John? I am. Where's the power of change in this church? Prayer? Secondly? That's right, preaching the word. Mark 8. Look over there. Mark chapter 8. You see then how listening to an apostolic command means you have no option here? So if you don't have a biblical reason to quit this church, you're in defiance of apostolic authority. Do you, do you understand that? That's not me, right? You're not going to shoot the messenger now? Are we clear on that? Quit this church. For other than the five biblical reasons, you're in violation of apostolic authority. Paul told Timothy not to quit. Why would he tell us that we can? Does that make any sense? Matthew chapter 8. I think I said Mark, please forgive me. Matthew chapter 8, sorry. If he makes any more mistakes in his sermons, I'm quitting. <laughs> I count them up every Sunday. Three last week, four last Sunday night. That's one of the five, actually, yeah. I actually had a former elder in this church scream at me. I was in my kitchen of the parsonage. He screamed at me. How do I remember he screamed? Because he hurt my ear. I hit the phone away like this. Basically, his key got taken away from him to the church. And he's screaming. And I said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. You know what he yelled back at me? You never are allowed to make a mistake! And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, well, okay. That ain't one of the five. I make mistakes. And I sin. Here's what the wicked do. Here's what the wicked do. Look at Matthew 8, verse 34. Behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they implored him to leave the region. They implore him to quit. What's that? What did he just do? He cast demons out into pigs. The swine were fine, and then they went over the cliff. Is that not a great miracle? Is that not righteous? Why do the godly Christians get tempted to quit? Wicked people in churches pressure us to leave the region. So simple. Look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18. 
Matthew 18, verse 29. Verse 29. So his fellow slaves fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he would pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what was happening, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owned. The hypocrite is this slave, right? He got forgiven all this, then he turns around and nails somebody under him, right? This is the nature of wickedness. It stays put with its wickedness. It plays off of mercy, and it perseveres in evil. And it took the Lord to out him and toss him into jail. God has to reconcile the wickedness in our churches. He's the one ultimately. Yes, we do church discipline. We're called to do that. That's not the context of this topic right now. When there's galling outward rebellion, then you're in the process of doing church discipline. This is the nature of evil. It perseveres. Godly want to quit. Mark chapter 1. Paul tells us not to quit. We don't quit. Simple as that. When did it become an option? Mark chapter 1. By the way, these verses all use the idea of coming alongside and giving an urgent parakaleo. Okay? An urgent appeal. Remember that back in 1 Timothy 1? I urge you not to. All these verses use that same concept, the same root, parakaleo. Showing you the, the force of this. Verse 39, Mark 139, he went into the synagogue throughout all Galilee, preaching in Galilee and casting out demons. What a miraculous Jesus. He's just doing, he's going through just laying waste. This is conquering miracle work, preaching, casting out, preaching, casting out. He's laying waste to demonic forces. The power is astounding. The leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This is why we stay in ministry. This is why Christ didn't cut and run. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him. In the context of massive warfare with demons, Jesus continued to focus on his duty and felt compassion. In the midst of demonic invasion in our churches and apostasy everywhere, we are called to stay put. And we're urged to do it. See that word beseeching in verse 40? It's the same parakaleo. He's begging Jesus. Begging him to make him clean. This is the force of this verb. I urge you, Timothy. Look at chapter 5 of Mark. This is no pipe in the mouth, leaning on the fireplace, British, emerging. you. If you do have a will to do it, Timothy, you may... Stay put. This is massive, urgent begging in the midst of conflict. It's always in the midst of conflict. We have to be begged to stay in the midst of conflict. Mark chapter 5, verse 23. 
One of the synagogue officials, Jairus, came up and seeing him, verse 22, fell at his feet and begged him earnestly. My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. It is the urgency, the parakaleo, the impassioned, I've got nothing I can do but beg you to heal her in a context of massive demonic possession. You've got the begging for righteousness and Christ enduring and staying put until his ministry was done on earth. Like the first Timothy chapter one in conclusion. You want to get rid of that monkey of quitting off your shoulder? Paul, in verse 3, is begging us to stay put. And if you want to, in the face of Paul, ever want to quit and go through with it without a biblical justification, you face God one day for being in defiance. And I face God for being in defiance of an apostolic command to not quit. There's no hope for a church or ministry when the godly quit and run. Where are the soldiers that will stand firm? This far, no further. In the face of demonic activity all around us. Talk to a IFCA Two pastors, actually, one of them years ago, in the basement of Westchester Bible Church in a ministerium, he was saying to me, uh, God's called me to leave my church every six years. Really, I said. Well, you know what a guy like me is going to say to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't so actually biblically accurate. I said something like, um, how do you know that? How do you know that? Did the number six pop up three times? Six, six, six. Yeah. Let me come up with six, six. Why not six and a half? Why not 49 and a half? I just know I feel God's led me. Then I said what Ryan said. Where's that in the scripture? This is what he did. Look at me. Look at me like that. Hey! Luke 14 me and walked away. Man's about my age. Still in the IFCA. No longer a pastor at all. Quit. Standing in the balcony. Pastor of a large church in the south side of Chicago, southeast side of Chicago here. Years ago. Pastor's telling me he's leaving. Same thing. Going down south to do umbamba, whatever it was. Not the pastor. Why? You know, we just as pastors love to pull this game. God has called me to leave. Really? Because Paul just said stay put, okay? Let's get this clear now. Okay? God called you to leave. But apostolic authority, which is dictatorial over all of us, said you're not to. He got really angry. You confront a pastor who wants to quit and is going to quit, you're going to make them angry. Mm -hmm. That pastor, years later, was desperate to get me to quit here. Desperate. 
maybe to appease his conscience, he quit for unbiblical reasons. He wants me to quit since I confronted him. I don't know. Friendship continued over the years, and then one day he called me. I got a great church, 400 down in Kansas for you. I want you to consider this seriously. I said, okay, well, if you're my friend, okay, I'll just, you know. I don't know what God has. I certainly hadn't studied 1 Timothy 1.3 yet. I was wanting to quit, so since I wanted to quit, I'll check it out. I checked it out, found out their doctrinal statement was heretical. I had two doctrines that were heretical. It's unbelievable. One of them was, if you join the military, you're sinning and you'll be church disciplined. How do you like that one? Whoa. So I remember being in the basement, and I remember calling him and saying, this is bad. Are you telling me, John, you're going to turn down another church? This is good. I talked to them. They like you. I said, how am I supposed to sign that doctrinal statement? Well, when you get there, then you'll fix it. I said, i got to sign it before I get there. Not this fast, but basically the result of that conversation was this. Slam down the receiver, and that man never was my friend again. There's a cost to be paid for standing firm. And most Christians, sadly, are cowards. What should be your prayer today? No matter the trouble I face in the church, empower me, Lord Jesus, to resist the unbiblical urge to quit Eastside Bible Church until they have biblical reasons for me to quit. And help me with the power of God to obey an apostolic command. Because when your apostles order us, we are slaves who have no right to defy the orders of you, the master, and your generals, the apostles. Father, if we pray this, Daily, when the monkey of quitting is sitting on our shoulders, screaming in our ears, and we say to that monkey of carnality, Paul is ordering me to stay no matter what, so get off my back for the glory of God and the purity of his church and victory over false teachers. In Jesus' name, amen.